Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Mysteries and Murders. I'm Lois, and today we are going to be talking about the disappearance of Maura Murray. Before I get into the case, I do just want to say I'm really sorry. This podcast is coming out on Wednesday, not Tuesday. I always try to aim to do my podcast by Tuesday and have it out on Tuesday, but it just wasn't possible this week because I've been quite busy and so yeah, I am sorry about that, but this is coming out Wednesday. This is actually a really big case. I wasn't expecting there to be so much information, like there is a lot of information um, to this case. It's very famous and there's a lot of twists and turns and it gets kind of confusing at times. Um, You'll see, this is probably going to be a bit of a longer episode. So Maura Murray was born on the 4th of May in 1982. She was from Hanson, Massachusetts. Her parents are Fred and Laurie Murray. They divorced when Maura was around the age of six and she began living with her mum. Her siblings are Fred Jr, Kathleen and Julie, who are all older than her, and she has one younger brother called Curtis. She was five foot seven inches and weighed about 120 pounds or eight and a half stone. She was a gifted athlete and had a passion for running. Um, I think she came like something like 33rd in a national long distance running competition, I believe, which is actually like amazing if you think about it. She must have been a very fast runner. Um, If it was me in that competition, I know I would come a lot, a lot lower down in that list. So um, anyway, (laughs) um, she loved hiking and she enjoyed spending time outdoors. Um, I think with her dad, she would spend a lot of time doing outdoors activities and she was also very close with her dad as well. She was also stunning. Everyone who knew her said her smile would just light up a room. Like, her smile was infectious. Um, She was really pretty, a really pretty girl. And she had many friends and was well-liked by everyone who knew her. Um, And she was 21 at the time of her disappearance. As Maura got older, around the age she went to university... Um, she started getting into some trouble, um, and trouble just kind of seemed to follow her. Um, she wasn't perfect, and a lot of documentaries about her, and a lot of sources I've read actually, have kind of tried to paint her as this perfect girl. She was like a star athlete, she like graduated at the top of her class in high school I think and kind of shows all that but she wasn't perfect and she did she did get into trouble which is kind of I think really important in this case um and I'll just tell you about all the things that kind of happened in the years leading up to her disappearance So Maura actually went to West Point Military Academy, which if you don't know is an extremely prestigious um, school in New York. I don't know if it's like a university. I mean, you definitely go there at university kind of age, but I don't know if it is a university. It probably is. Um, Anyway, it's in New York and it only accepts about 10% of applicants. So very 
prestigious. Um, Maura's sister, Julie, also went to West Point, so that's kind of part of the reason why she went there. Um, And Maura majored in chemical engineering. However, after only three semesters, or as we say in England terms, um, Maura withdrew from West Point in, and that was in January of 2002, and she enrolled in the University of Massachusetts Amherst College of Nursing. And no one really at first knew why she did that, because like, why would you leave such a prestigious school? Like, it's like one of the top schools in the country. Why would you leave there? Um, and go and do something completely different, like nursing. Um, it's kind of a confusing thing to do. Um, however, it turned out that Maura had been brought before a disciplinary committee seven times in 2001 while she was at West Point. Um, and basically a disciplinary committee, I didn't know this, but it makes decisions about whether a student is guilty and what their punishments should be. If someone does something wrong or like breaks the law, they basically decide what should happen to them next. So while on a training trip to Fort Knox, which is in Kentucky in America, if you didn't know, um, with her class, Maura was caught stealing jewellery from the gift shop, and that was in August 2001. So Maura left West Point, after only three semesters there because she was about to be expelled, basically. So she left West Point to avoid expulsion. Um, So she didn't really have a choice. Then in November 2003, Maura Murray committed credit card fraud. A female student at UMass reported to Amherst Police that someone had been using her credit card to order takeaway from Pinocchio's Pizza. After checking their records, managers at Pinocchio's Pizza found the orders, which had been delivered to Mora's dorm room. The same night that they discovered the credit card fraud, Pinocchio's Pizza um, was called again by Mora Murray, and she tried to use the same credit card numbers to buy some more food. So when the delivery man got Maura to sign the bill, police approached her dorm room. So Maura's mugshot was taken after she was like taken to the police station. Um, So her mugshot was taken and this mugshot honestly looks really scary. Like it looks like a different person. When you look at pictures of her that her family have shared on their website about her and stuff she's all smiley and you can just like see her personality kind of coming through but then when you look at this mugshot it's like it's just like a different person it's honestly scary it just doesn't even look like her um so at first Maura gave no explanation about the credit card fraud that she'd committed but eventually admitted that she found the credit card number on a discarded receipt in a bin at a party that she'd been to, I believe. Um, So Maura was put on probation and her charges would have been dismissed in February of 2004, which is actually when she went missing, um, if she managed to stay out of trouble by that time. 
Um, Maura had ordered from Pinocchio's Pizza $79 worth of food using the stolen credit card numbers. And this is why many people believe that Maura was bulimic or had a binge eating disorder or maybe both. Um, We can't know if this is actually true, but a lot of people do think that she had some sort of eating disorder because she was ordering all this food for herself. Um... Many people also think that she could have been pregnant and that's why she was, like, ordering all this food. Um, The police did find her alone in her apartment. So she wasn't ordering all that food for anyone else. It was just her, which is kind of a strange thing to do. Also, to me, I'm really confused about, like, why would she order food using the stolen credit card numbers? Because... She had she had two part-time jobs, so she could have afforded afforded it herself, the food. Um also, why steal credit card numbers to buy pizza? Like that doesn't make sense to me. If you steal a credit card, then why would you buy pizza? Why wouldn't you buy something valuable like clothes or I don't know, like um jewelry? Or you know, why would you by food. That makes no sense to me. Um, so that's why people think she had an eating disorder. Um, a lot of people also think that Maura kind of got an adrenaline rush from committing all these small crimes because she stole some jewellery from Fort Knox, obviously, um, and all the pizza she stole. So yeah, a lot of people think that she just got a bit of an adrenaline rush for it, which... I guess is common, more common than people think. Um, That's actually, I think, why a lot of people commit some crimes because they get a bit of an adrenaline rush from it and they enjoy it. But obviously we can't know in this case. So another strange thing that happened in the kind of days or weeks leading up to her disappearance is on January 24th, 2004, Maura made two phone calls to the home of a woman who worked for the Department of Children and Families. So the woman was retired but worked until the late 90s. Her number was unlisted but she sometimes gave it out to clients. Her job was working on child abuse cases in Weymouth, Massachusetts. Um, the woman doesn't really recall speaking to Maura directly, but her number is one of the last numbers to call, to be called on Maura's phone before she disappeared. This woman has also never been spoken to by police, which is strange, considering it was one of the last calls on her phone. Um, she was never contacted by the Murray family either. Many suggest that, um, the calls to this number had something to do with um, her future nursing career and her classes because obviously being a nurse I guess you kind of have to know about like abuse and stuff and what it looks like in families Um, I think that's quite important actually if you're going into like nursing Um, I don't know though I'm not going into nursing but yeah I I think that is Um, But the number was an unlisted home number and the woman had nothing to do with the University of Massachusetts. 
So many think that Maura had this woman as a contact from when her parents got divorced and they just stayed in touch over the years, which makes sense to me. Um, some people also think that Maura was concerned for another student at her university who perhaps was being abused by someone older or an authority figure figure, and just contacted this number for help on how to report um, like the incidents and her concerns, um, which also makes sense to me. So Maura had a long-distance boyfriend called Billy Rausch, I believe that's how you say his name. It's kind of a complicated name, but I think that's how you say it. Um, but she had an affair with the assistant's, assistant coach of the track team at UMass called Hossein Baghdadi. And they began a relationship in the spring of 2003. Maura referred to Billy as an ex when she was with him. Um, Maura stayed with Hossein in the summer of 2003 in Amherst, but by autumn she suddenly and abruptly stopped all communication with him, like stopped emailing, stopped calling, everything. And when she returned to UMass, Maura explained to him that she'd gotten back with Billy. Friends and family of Maura's described Billy as chauvinistic, controlling and possessive. Hossein said he got the impression from Maura that Billy could be physical with her and that she couldn't really get away from him. Um, Billy was also cheating on Maura as well. Um, so they kind of had an unhealthy relationship. Um, after Maura's disappearance, detectives spoke with Hossein and he told them that Maura had told him that she wish, wished um, she could disappear or run away. And when he heard the news of her disappearance, he thought she actually did run away. Um, and was kind of like, oh my god, she actually did it. Um, so yeah, like I said, Billy also cheated on Maura. Um, and they, it's kind of just like an unhealthy relationship from both sides. Um they appeared in love, though. A lot of people say that, like, they were actually in love. And I watched a documentary. And basically, their relationship was described as, like, yes, they were cheating on each other, but they loved each other and had a very healthy relationship. But to me, it just doesn't seem healthy that they were both cheating on each other. I don't know. So now let's talk about the timeline um, of the days leading up to Maura's disappearance. So February 2004. Um, so on February 5th, 2004, we actually can't know what day this was. Um, a lot of sources differ. It could have been February 5th, 6th or 7th from what I've read. Anyway, on one of those days um, in the evening... Maura was at work um, at one of her part-time jobs. She was on duty at her campus security job. And at 10.20pm this night, a male UMass student was found seriously injured after being hit by a car. He was in a coma for a month 
and many think Mora was involved, um, but she was in the middle of her shift, so it, like, couldn't really have been her because she was at work. Anyway, the student couldn't remember what happened, couldn't remember who hit him. He, I think he still, to this day, suffers, like, brain, from brain trauma, so it was a very serious incident. And a lot of people think it was Mora who hit him with her car. Anyway, at 10.30pm that night, Mora broke down into tears after being on the phone with her older sister, Kathleen. And her, some of her classmates who also worked at the campus security with her called her supervisor to kind of deal with Mora because she was very upset and so when her supervisor arrived to see what was going on Mora just seemed zoned out and unresponsive um, after being like really really upset. Her supervisor escorted her back to her dorm room at around 1.20 a.m and um her supervisor actually didn't want to leave her alone. She offered to go to her dorm with her, but Mora said no, and that she had a roommate. But that was a lie. Mora didn't have a roommate. I guess she just wanted to be alone. Um, and when she asked Mora what was wrong, she responded in two words. She just said, my sister, and that was it. Um... And some sources say that she received a second anonymous phone call at 1pm, but we don't know. That for sure, I cannot confirm it. I don't know if that's true. Um, in October 2017, Kathleen, Maura's older sister, publicly explained the contents of the conversation she'd had with Maura that night. Um, basically, Kathleen was a recovering alcoholic and she had been discharged from a rehabilitation clinic that evening. But on the way home, her rather unsupportive fiancé drove her to a liquor store, which caused her to relapse and drink again, and obviously that would have really upset Maura. That's quite an upsetting thing to hear. Um, So... On Saturday, the 7th of February, 2004, Fred arrived in Amherst to visit Maura at university. Um, He would often visit her. They were very close. He'd book a motel and they'd spend a few days or a weekend together. That afternoon, he and Maura went car shopping for a new car for Maura because she needed a new car. And they later on went to dinner with a friend of Maura's. Nobody can confirm if they actually did go car shopping because they didn't mention it at dinner and Maura's friend who they were at dinner with didn't know that they'd gone car car shopping, which is strange because obviously that's at dinner you just kind of talk about what you did that day and it's weird that they didn't mention it. So no one knows if that's actually true. After dinner, Fred drove Maura and her friend to a liquor store so that they could buy drinks for a party they were going to later. And this is where Fred kind of changes his story a bit. So 
At first, he said he waited in the car for Maura and her friend to come out of the liquor store. But later on, he started saying that he went into the store and told them to hurry up. So that's kind of strange that he changed his story. I guess it's not that important, though. Um, Maura dropped Fred off at his motel and she took his car to go to the party. He had a brand new Toyota Corolla. He knew that Maura would be drinking at the party, so why would he let her use his brand new car? That's what I and a lot of people don't understand. Why would you allow your daughter to drive your car to a party where she'll be drinking? Um, doesn't make sense. The plan was that she would drive back to her dorm from the party and she'd return his car the next day. Why wouldn't he just drop her off at the party instead of letting her drive his brand new car? I don't know. Anyway, at about 2.30am that night, Maura left the party. A few people at the party said that she left with a boy, but no one knew who the boy was. Um, Some people also said that she left alone, so no one really knows if she did leave with the boy or not. At 3.30am, on her way back to her father's motel, she was in a car crash and destroyed her dad's brand new car. She hit a guardrail on Route 9 in Hadley. The car was completely ruined and she was dropped off at her dad's motel by police, but he didn't know that she was there. And she stayed in her room. And there's like a lot of speculation about this. No one really knows how he didn't know that she was there. No one knows like if there was two beds in the motel room or they shared a bed. Um, Yeah, no one really knows that. I think it would be pretty easy to just like look up the motel and find what room they were staying in and see if there was two beds. I don't know. I guess it doesn't really matter that much. Um, But yeah, she stayed in his room that night and she ended up causing $8,000 worth of damage to her dad's car. The police didn't conduct a sobriety test on Maura that night, which is unusual. Maybe the police were just lazy or something. Um... I don't know, but why would you not conduct a sobriety test? It's 2.30 in the morning and someone is, someone has crashed a car. I mean, it's very likely that they are drunk. Um, anyway, at 4.49am that morning, there was a phone call from Fred's phone to Maura's boyfriend. And he basically calmed her down and told her that he'd call her later. So later on, on the morning of Sunday the 8th of February, Fred Murray learned of the damage to his car. And he says he wasn't angry, he was more worried about how he would get home to his job the next day. Um, Which is strange. How was he not angry that she crashed his car? Or about the fact that she was probably drink driving. Um, If I crashed my mum's car, I don't think she'd ever forgive me. (laughs) 
she would be so angry. So I do not understand that at all. Um, also, if I was drink driving, I think my parents would probably be very angry at me. So I don't know, though. Um, anyway, the cost of the damage to um, Fred's car, who Fred is Maura's dad, if I haven't said that already. Um, anyway, the cost of damage was covered by his car insurance. Um, so he rented a car, dropped Maura off at university, and he went back home. Fred told Maura to remember to get an accident form from the Registry of Motor Vehicles before he left as well. And they made plans to call each other the next day and fill them out together. So now let's talk about Monday the 9th of February 2004. This is the day of Maura's disappearance. So on the morning of February 9th, 2004, Maura submitted her nursing work electronically and emailed her professors saying there'd been a death in the family so she couldn't be in class for a week, but this was a lie. There was no death in her family. So people take this information two ways. People either think, oh, it's not a big deal that she emailed her professors saying that there's been a death in the family because... It's not uncommon for students to, like, try and get out of class by making up something. Um, So people, a lot of people don't think it's a big deal that she did this. But then on the other hand, people think this is a really big deal and that maybe she was planning to commit suicide. um, And that's... And the death in the family was kind of referring to herself. I think I kind of take it the first way. I don't think it's a big deal. I think she was just lying maybe to get out of class. Um, Potentially. That's... I think I've probably done that before. Honestly, I know some people who have done that as well. Um, I don't know though. We, We can't know for sure. But it was definitely a lie. There was no death in her family. Um, so shortly after midnight, um, on Monday the 9th of February, Maura searched up maps on MapQuest, um, looking up directions to the Berkshires and Burlington, which are both in Vermont. At 12.55pm, Maura calls inquiring about a condo in Bartlett, New Hampshire, where she would go on holidays and trips with her family um, when she was younger, so it was like a very special place to her. The call lasted three minutes, but she never rented the condo. At around 1pm, Maura sent her boyfriend an email stating that she doesn't feel like talking to anyone, but she'll call him later on in the day. And she told him, I love you more, stud, in the email. At 2.05pm, Maura calls 800-GHOSTO, which is a number that people call to find information um, or find hotels in Stowe, Vermont. The call lasted approximately five minutes. Research shows that this number was out of order that day and only recordings were available to listen to.
She then left a voicemail for her boyfriend saying that she'd call him later. Um, she then packed a bag with toiletries, makeup, workout attire, school books and several days worth of clothes. She also packed birth control pills, which had a few missing when police later found her belongings. Um, she also packed up her entire dorm. Um, an email from Billy was also printed out and left on top of some boxes. And this email was about him cheating. So she'd obviously found out that he was cheating on her. And there was a printed out email from Billy left on top of some boxes. Um, and I don't, I don't know how, really, how, like, the school, university system works in America, but couldn't her dorm room just still be packed up from, um, like, a holiday or, like, winter break or something like that? I don't really know, though. But anyway, her, entire dorm room was packed up and put in boxes and there was pictures taken off the wall and we can't forget about the email left out as well so that's very strange so the timeline gets a bit hazy here um I've I read a lot of sources and they all just kind of say different things about the timeline or like they slightly differ like one source will say something happened at one time and then the next one will say it happened half an hour later so it gets a bit hazy um but from 3 p.m to 4 30 p.m Mora is seen by a dorm mate leaving the UMass Amherst campus so at around 3 15 p.m Mora stopped off at a off-campus ATM and withdrew $280 from her bank account, leaving only $16 in her account. Mora then stopped at a liquor store and buys, and she bought $40 worth of alcohol. And surveillance footage shows her to be alone. According to authorities, Mora left the Amherst Hadley, Massachusetts area around 4.30pm and drove her 1996 Saturn north towards New Hampshire. Maura told no one of her plans. No one knows why she was heading to New Hampshire. Um, It was like she just kind of decided like, oh, I'm going to New Hampshire and no one knew why. At 4.37pm, Maura was... Maura used her phone for the last time to check to see if she had any messages and we know this because her phone was like pinged I think from a I think mobile phone tower I don't know how it works <laughs> um I I don't know a lot about like technology and like phone reception and stuff but her phone was pinged from a tower basically so that's how we know that she checked her messages at 7 27 p.m faith westman a resident of haverhill new hampshire contacted police to report an accident near her home 
she said that the car was stuck in a ditch and it was Maura who'd actually gotten in the accident. She said she saw someone smoking a cigarette in the passenger seat, but she later recanted this and said it just could have been the light from Maura's phone or something. Soon after, a school bus um, driver named Bo- named Butch Atwood, I think that's how you say it, um, drove past the accident and spoke to Maura. He offered to help her and offered to call the police. She declined, though, and said she'd already called AAA. Um, Atwood knew that this was probably a lie and that she hadn't called AAA because there was no reception in Haverhill. Yeah, Haverhill was just a very remote area, so it would have been almost impossible for her to make any phone calls. Back then, mobile phones were still relatively new, so I guess in a lot of areas, there still wasn't any reception. Um, Back then, there wouldn't have been. Butch drove home and called police anyway, even though Maura said she didn't want help, and he called the police at 7.42pm. Butch reported to police that Maura appeared shaken up The airbags were deployed and the front window was smashed, but she wasn't injured at all and he saw no blood. Interestingly, later on when Butch Atwood was, um, like, interviewed by police, he was shown a picture of Maura and he said, like, no, this isn't the girl I saw. And he basically didn't recognise Maura. Which is strange, but I just think, like, if she's drunk and she's just been in a car crash, she's scared. Um, She probably knows that um, she'll get a DUI. And her, she was on probation, so, um, her like, the probation wouldn't be lifted, basically, and she'd be charged with um, something. So she was probably scared about that and I guess she just looked a bit different. So I don't think that's a big deal. Um, But it is interesting that he said that. At 7.46pm, police arrived at the scene of the accident. But Maura was gone by that point. The car door on the driver's side had been locked. There was a box of red wine um, behind the driver's seat or next to the driver's seat some sources say it was next to the driver's seat on the passenger's seat others say it was behind the driver's seat and there was red stains on the ceiling and door which was probably red wine that spilled when the car crashed there was also a coke bottle filled with red liquid the police officer um on the on the scene also noticed that there was a rag stuffed in the exhaust pipe of Maura's car and it was actually Fred who told Maura to put the rag in the tailpipe to um, avoid being ticketed by police for the excessive smoke coming out of the exhaust pipe but this is actually kind of a dangerous thing to do so it's like why would he tell her um to do that because it's kind of dangerous because wouldn't all the smoke be going back into the engine and then that would break your car and that's just dangerous 
yeah, that doesn't seem right. Um, also, maybe it was just a short-term solution. Maybe he just, maybe her car was just breaking down and there was a lot of smoke coming out of the exhaust pipe. So, as, like, a short-term solution until she got, he bought her a new car or she bought a new car. I don't know if he was going to buy her the car. Maybe he just told her that as a short-term thing until she got a new car, basically. Or maybe that was just his story. I don't know. Um, A lot of people, though, think that the rag was placed there in the exhaust pipe after the accident. Because in a documentary about Maura Murray, they tried to start a car with a rag in the exhaust pipe and it just flew out as soon as the engine started. The rag was actually from Maura's emergency roadside kit as well. Triple A insurance forms were found um, in the car, which were obviously for her previous accident. Her gloves were found, CDs, makeup, the bag she packed earlier, and maps of Burlington and Stowe that she'd got off MapQuest, and a book called Not Without Peril, which is about people who attempt mountain climbing in, I think, the White Mountains in New Hampshire. I think those are the mountains. Again, geography is not my strong suit. Um, and it's, yeah, it's about people who basically who attempt mountain climbing in that area without being properly prepared, which can't be a happy book. Um, just thinking about that, that can't be, that's got to be a very depressing book. They never found some of the alcohol that Maura bought. They never found her debit or credit card or her wallet, and they never found her phone. Some damage to Maura's car was also not consistent with the crash, and this is why some people think that she was the one involved in the hit-and-run incident with the UMass student, um, because she had, like, dents in her car that couldn't have been from the crash, basically. Butch Atwood also returned to the scene of the accident and suggested that police search west of the scene in an area called French Pond. A state trooper also responded to the scene and so did emergency medical services, but they were dismissed within minutes because there was no one at the scene of the accident to actually treat. Firefighters also searched the accident scene. The French Pond area and west of the scene was searched, but no one searched east. Butch Atwood um, is the last known person to have seen Maura. From 8pm onwards that night, um, I don't really know when it was. It was like from 8 to 850 Maura's car was towed to a local auto repair garage. The first police officer at the scene had left by half nine um, because they thought it wasn't a big deal. They didn't think that was foul play and they thought maybe Maura just left the scene to sober up because she'd been drinking and um, they just thought she'd return when she was a bit more sober I think a lot this is very common when people have been drink driving they just leave to sober up and then come back and just be like oh yeah 
I crashed my car, but I wasn't drunk and stuff. Um, that's, I think that's actually very common. And it was especially risky for Maura to get a DUI because obviously she was on probation and it would have been lifted if she stayed out of trouble. So at 3.20am on February 10th, a voicemail was left on Fred's home answering machine, stating that a car in his name was found abandoned in New Hampshire. He doesn't receive this voicemail, though, until later on in the day. At around 5.30pm, Maura's sister contacts Fred and tells him that Maura's car has been found abandoned. Fred then called Haverhill, New Hampshire police, and begs them to start a search for Maura. But they informed him that if she isn't found safe by the following morning, then they'd start a search. Which is so frustrating. They didn't search for her until like two days later. It's so sad because that obviously hindered the case quite a bit. And maybe if they'd started searching, then she would have been found. I don't know, though. We can never know. Um, Maura's family contacted the University of Massachusetts Police Department and requested that they search her dorm room. And that's when they found her dorm packed up with the email from her boyfriend printed out and left on top of the boxes. On the 11th of February, Fred arrived in Haverhill. At 8.36am, the Murray's police and others began a search of over 36 hours for Maura um, in the Haverhill area. A police canine tracked Maura's scent using one of her leather gloves. The dog followed the scent 90 metres east. Um, and if you remember, everyone kind of searched west. Initially, everyone searched west of the accident scene but no one ever searched east um but it stopped up um it just like kind of abruptly stopped the scent implying that she was picked up by someone it is also possible that the scent just faded due to the accident happening two days earlier Mora also rarely used um the glove that they used to, to track track her scent so, um, the use of sniffer dogs in this investigation wasn't that helpful. Usually they are very helpful, though. At 5pm, Maura's boyfriend, Billy, arrived in Hate Hill. He was interrogated in private and then joined by his parents for questioning. At 7pm, police report to Maura's family and her boyfriend's family that they believe Maura came to New Hampshire to commit suicide, but no one believed this. This day, Maura's boyfriend, Billy, received a voicemail on his phone that he believes to be the sound of Maura sobbing. His mobile phone had been turned off so he could pass through airport security to get to New Hampshire um, because it was a long-distance relationship. He lived in either Oklahoma or Ohio. I can't remember which one. Um, but that's why he didn't receive the voicemail until later on. A police investigation traced the call to a prepaid calling card on a public phone from the American Red Cross. 
um, and they they kind of knew it was Mora because Billy's parents gave her a calling card for Christmas. Um, and I'm not going to lie, I don't really know what a calling card is. I think, I think back then you had to pay for phone calls. I, am I being really dumb right now? I don't know. I think she, I think it's like you can use it with a public phone so that you don't have to pay to make phone calls. I believe that's what it is. Um, Fred refused. So Fred, Maura's dad, refused to be interviewed for two years after Maura's disappearance. And when he finally did have an interview, he had two lawyers to back him up. Um, Ten days after the original search, a second search was conducted, which was an air and ground search. But nothing again was found. The search for Mora soon became nationwide. The FBI got involved and the media soon picked up the case. It became quite famous. She was a runner, so people think she could have ran far away from the scene of the accident and gone really far in a short amount of time. So now let's talk about the theories surrounding this case. So the first theory I have is that Maura ran away. She packed up all of her belongings and packed a bag. So it kind of seemed like she was just tying up loose ends and just like planning to get away. She withdrew all of her money. She told her professors that she'd be gone for a week. And she clearly left um, university she clearly left her university willingly um, and she was planning to be gone for a while because also she took her birth control pills with her. So obviously that shows that she's going to be gone for like longer than a week, I feel like. Um, and there's actually a few reasons why. And this is why this theory is quite, it makes a lot of sense. It's quite logical. Maybe she just wanted to go somewhere where no one knew her and she just wanted a fresh start. She got into a lot of trouble already and maybe she didn't want to face it. Obviously, she'd gotten in trouble with the police a couple times. She was on probation and if she got a DUI, she would have been charged. So maybe she decided to run away after she'd gotten into the accident on the night of her disappearance because she didn't want um, a DUI and she didn't want to be charged with anything. Maybe she was involved in the almost fatal um, hit and run accident with the UMass student and just felt so guilty that she had to run away on top of all the other things as well. Maybe she was running away from someone dangerous in her life who no one knew about and it wasn't safe for her. A lot of people think this is Billy. I'll kind of explain why a bit later. Um, she Also, a lot of people think she could have been pregnant and ran away because of that. But I don't know. That's not really a massive reason to run away. I think she was from like a religious family. I believe they were Irish Catholic. But that's not like... It's not huge. Um, maybe it was for her though. My next theory is that she just hid in the woods and died after the accident. 
So she could have hid in the woods near to where she crashed her car so that police wouldn't see her, but she ended up being so cold that she died. I think it was like around zero degrees Celsius um, where she crashed her car, which is pretty cold with like, I think you probably could die without a really thick coat and stuff, um, without food and stuff, no, no fire to keep you warm you probably could die in that temperature. Um, Her body was never found, though, so... If she hid in the woods and died, then her body would have been found, even if it was, like... This is gross, but taken apart by animals. um, Remains still would have been found. My next theory is that she committed suicide. So obviously police put forward the theory that she drove to New Hampshire to commit suicide. Um, It seemed like she was tying up loose ends before she left. So obviously that lends to this theory. Um, The death in the family obviously could have been referring to herself. That doesn't make sense to me, though. How... Could you be referring to yourself? Yeah, I don't know about that. Um, Also, many people hide mental illness well, so she could have been suffering from depression and no one knew. Again, though, her body was never found. If she committed suicide, then remains basically would have been found. So my fourth theory is that Mora was abducted. Her favourite toy monkey that her boyfriend gave her and some expensive, I think, diamond jewellery was found left in her car. So even if she was running away, why would she leave this? I would never leave my stuffed animals. If I was was running away, I would take my favourite stuffed animals with me and I certainly would take my expensive jewellery with me. Her phone, credit card and debit card which were all missing from her belongings, were never used again, and she would definitely need this stuff if she was running away. So it seems unlikely that she did. Um, Even though there was only $16 in her bank account, she still could have used it, and you still need a bank account. I think she was, like, due to get a paycheck in the following days. So... Um, the scent of the sniffer dog abruptly stopped and it seems like she was picked up by someone. The area where she crashed her car was remote and it was late at night when she went missing. Actually, it wasn't late, but it was dark and someone could have taken her without anyone seeing anything. And I think this is the most likely theory. I think someone did take her... Um, there was a theory where, like, a known serial killer who, um, is kind of implicated in another missing persons case, um, killed Mora and took her, but I think this was, like, disproven and it was impossible that they could have taken Mora, so I won't include that one. Um, but yeah, someone could have taken her, I think. My final theory is that someone close to her 
um, has had something to do with her disappearance or maybe was dangerous or knows more than they are letting on. So the first person I'm going to talk about is Billy, her boyfriend. In 2011, Billy lost his job at Ray Group International after a number of women accused him of harassment and odd behaviour, including an alleged assault. He is currently awaiting trial for attempted rape and could serve up to 20 years in prison. He was cheating on Maura, and Maura did leave a printed email um, of his in her packed-up dorm room. So could this be interpreted as a signal or clue that he was um, he was dangerous to her? It's definitely suspicious, and I think it's possible, um, perhaps. It doesn't look good for him, given the fact that he could face 20 years in prison for rape at the moment. Um, the next people I'm going to talk about is Maura's friends. At the party the weekend before Maura disappeared, her friends were uncooperative with police and said they couldn't remember a single other person at the party, which is strange. Even if you are, like, really, really drunk, um, you'd still remember, like, showing up. Like, some, you'd still have some memory of the night. You, you'd have to be, like, really, really, really drunk to not remember anything. So, it, that's strange. Unless they were drugged, a lot of people actually think that they were drugged at the party. Um, it also seems like they're covering for someone, because some people say Maura did leave with a boy, but they don't know who the boy was. And others just say that she left alone. So maybe they were just covering for for this boy who um, supposedly was with her. So the final person I'm going to talk about is Fred, um, her father. Why did he tell her to put the rag in the exhaust pipe? It's a very strange thing to do. And a lot of people like really read into that and kind of... It is very strange to me. Um, Kathleen. So Maura's older sister, Kathleen's ex-husband, Tim Carpenter, says Fred is a dangerous man and he didn't, he didn't appear involved in um, the search for Maura when cameras weren't around. Fred refused to be interviewed for two years and then showed up with two lawyers when he did agree to an interview. So... Um, when people hire lawyers, it kind of makes them look more suspicious. It kind of makes them look more guilty. His story did slightly change, as we know, throughout the years. And why did he allow Maura to drive his brand new car when he knew she'd probably be drinking? Why wasn't he angry with her for crashing it as well? So a lot of things that Fred has done just don't make sense to me and to a lot of other people and there's a lot of unanswered questions about him anyway that's all the theories I have the search for Maura is still ongoing 
Her family is very active on Facebook and they started a website to spread awareness for Mora. They started a blue ribbon campaign, um, which basically is for Mora. Um, a blue ribbon was placed around a f- tree near the location where Mora was last seen. It's a symbol to honour and remember her. In 2020, a bill was passed that would have torn down this tree, but Mora's family is fighting this. They also want to erect a historical marker in New Hampshire for Mora on on the highway on Route 112, which is where Mora was last seen. Unfortunately, Mora's mother died never knowing what happened to her daughter. The last song Mora would have listened to if she was listening to the radio um, the night she disappeared on the 9th of February 2004 was You Get What You Give by New Radicals. Mora's disappearance is now known internationally and it's still drawing interest from the media. It's still a very active case and um, if you have any information about the Mora Murray case then go to moramurraymissing.org to make an inquiry um also you can go there if you want to find out more I believe that is her family's website um or on that website there's also just a lot of different ways that you can contact the family as well So that is all the information that I have for you today and that means that it is the end of this week's episode. Thank you everyone for listening. If you want to know more about me then go and visit my Instagram which is underscore Lolo underscore IS underscore 003. Um, Also leave a voice message which is like linked down in the description of this podcast or give me a review and a rating if you can on the on whatever you're listening on um that would really help and yeah thank you everyone for listening see you all next tuesday bye